episode number 20. I sprain my mental health podcast. Thank you very much for listening. It's another small milestone. 20 episodes covered over the space of, of about six months. Potentially longer. It's been quite sporadic. And the episodes have come in all shapes and sizes. And all guises. And some have been more interesting than others. Some have been more helpful than others, and that's the nature of a disposable platform that is uh, podcasting. But there was a very pleasant reaction to last week's episode, and I love when that happens. I love when the stars are aligned and we're all in agreement. I really enjoyed it. If you missed it, please do go back episode 19 from last week. Go and check it out. But I spoke about... I spoke about a reprieve... I had taken for the last two or three months in terms of chasing goals and that was on the back of a really busy period of my life so I just took a step back with very little planned and it was the best thing I could have done it's just given me a bit of clarity and give me a bit of uh, headspace to prepare myself for what I've described as the holistic chaos of running 247 kilometres in 72 hours for Aware Ireland and to continue continue my mission to promote self-awareness and emotional fitness and that'll gonna, that's going to come around very, very quickly but last week I spoke about the scale of the challenge that I'm staring into that I'm facing and just how terrifying it really is and I was honest enough to just to share that Genuinely, I, I don't think I can do it. It's I don't mean from a place of negativity. I mean, the scale of the challenge is so... It's so large. I genuinely could not find a place inside me that said 110% certain I could do this. And that's what I'm loving about it. Because it's helped me to really hone in on the mental preparation for this. In the same way... Uh, I did last year for the 10 and 10 challenge and and it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun just figuring it out how to make this work and how to make it click inside my head so what I've done over the, the last week is I needed a focal point I needed something to start upon and what I did was I picked my finish line so with a finish line it'll enable me to walk backwards and to break the uh, to break the challenge down into really small bits and and take it from there and ultimately, in the end, come the end of April, I'll smash it. So, my finish line is, you may have seen it, or you may not. If you live in the north side of Dublin, there's a tree just on the perimeter of St. Anne's Park, just opposite the causeway in the Coast Road. It's at the end of, I think it's Watermill Avenue. I could be completely wrong on that. But it's the road that leads from Rohini down to the Coast Road. And just on the corner there, there's a big oak tree and it's carved to the shape of animals, owls and foxes and geese and everything else. And it's varnished and painted. And it's one of the most incredible pieces of artistry I've, I've ever come across. And just a fine example of creativity and patience. And it took quite some time to, to complete the project I'd walk by there quite regularly, I'd drive by there quite regularly, I live in the area. So a couple of years ago, and this 
project was being undertaken. I, I kind of had the pleasure of sort of watching it unfold from start to finish. And there was one day where the artist was there doing his work. And I had figured, just from looking at the the detail in which these animals were being carved into wood, in, in, into the, the trunk of a tree, I, I figured it was quite a delicate process with the smallest of tools. But as it transpires, I was walking by and it was the guy who was going about his work with a, with a full-on chainsaw, a full-size chainsaw, and he was hammering into this thing, shaping out the uh, the feathers on an owl's wing with the uh, with the tip of a chainsaw, which which blew me away even more. So it kind of made me appreciate the accuracy and the skill required to achieve something like this. And it's beautiful. It, it's absolutely beautiful. If you if you've never seen it, just I'd say you could Google it. I'm sure there's more than one of these things maybe around Dublin or around the country, but St. Anne's Park, St. Anne's Park carved tree, I would imagine, and pop it up on Google for you. And I just think it's a splendid place to uh, to wrap my challenge around. And look, I love Dublin. I love where I live. And it's quite a privilege for me to be able to do my training runs out in the seafront to run through St. Anne's as I've done since I was 15 years of age so there's a lot of connection there for me and a lot of emotion attached to it all positive so I think that was a nice place to start pick my finish line and go from there and that's uh, that's my update and the challenge for this week right good luck see you next week now so I've I wrote a couple of articles this week, again just on the topic. And if you're new to the podcast, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for tuning in. Generally, the structure, um, and I use that word lightly. I tend to address the serious matters around mental health and mental illness early in the podcast. Get them out of the way. Get you thinking right from the off. I don't mean get them out of the way. That's that's a bit detrimental to the entire point of the podcast but just to, to get you thinking right from the off and then kind of afterwards when we need a we need a bit of a breather I'll go into more light-hearted entertainment based subject matter such as uh, people climbing great heights with no support I'm looking at films at books and different things that I've come across in my life that have inspired me and that I've found interesting and if it's something that can inspire somebody else or just again somebody else finds it interesting then that's that's brilliant job done with the podcast so this week i wrote a couple of articles to tie in with the launch of the challenge and the first one i did i, I wrote a piece for extra time.ie where i spoke about just dealing with depression and i've wrote about this many times i spoke about it many times i've found a level um when it comes to what I struggle with in my experience, my experience, I found a level and I found a balance that works for me that I don't come away feeling like shit having written it or I don't come away worrying about offending somebody or upsetting somebody. I, I'm really conscious of that to just get the balance right, that it's getting the message across without without hiding away from the facts, but without... 
being too hard on people that could be reading it because it's a complex a complex issue it's a complex subject despite the fact that you know we encourage people to talk and to open up it, it's still a difficult it's a difficult subject matter for for everybody and it can be quite overwhelming at times so i'm quite conscious of that but i wrote a piece i just spoke about making the step up to to first team with gels a couple of years ago and just how the timing of it for me was was just really shit basically i had come out of what was a really dark period in my life um and i had been progressing quite well but i i had just hit I was just on the verge of a relapse, basically, and emotionally, I just wasn't in a good place. The timing was really poor, and it just left me feeling worse about myself. And the way I kind of worded it, I was sort of saying that, look, depression stole me of the confidence I had built up um, and the self-belief I had built up. And it made me feel that I was the wa- a waste of a tracksuit. And it's very relevant. It's very relevant to my experience in football and coaching has been such a big part of my life that I was not able to do what I enjoyed, that I, what I had trained to do, what I put so much effort in for the period of a decade and even more, I, I was so lost in myself. I, I was unable to do that. I, I couldn't coach. I couldn't do it efficiently. And the point of the article was this, is that I had the courage to speak up, even though I was in a role of responsibility as a coach, I had the courage to speak to the management and, and I worked under two managers over the course of four years and I spoke to both of them and both were unsurprisingly really supportive and that's a big deal in football it is a very big deal I can see how it would be perceived to this this bubble of masculinity where everybody has to be brave and uh, and manly and you know don't be at one with your emotions and don't be open and don't show any sign of weakness so I can see how it can be intimidating for people and to stamp that down that was just that was the message behind the the article that I wrote was just it was it was aimed at players really just male and female players who most of which are heading back to pre-season at the moment or a couple of weeks into pre-season before the season starts at the end of February and that was my message is just if there's a player that's not feeling right worried there's something wrong hit with a bout of depression a bout of low mood anxiety whatever it may be on a personal level for you that's destroying a sport that you love talk to your manager talk to your captain talk to a teammate that you trust talk to somebody in your life that you trust it doesn't have to be a full-blown confession it can be as simple as one sentence that says look i'm struggling here that could be enough to open up the dialogue between you and somebody else and it's not easy it certainly isn't easy, but it's more progressive than sitting in a dressing room with your head looking down at the tiles and trying to avoid con- any kind of conflict or any sort of conversation or interaction with someone else. If you play sport, you love it. And that love, that adoration for what you do for your hobby, or in some cases your your profession, for a lot of people who may be semi-professional or professional, um, you deserve better than that. So just please don't suffer in silence and as hard as that may be please look after yourself and please mind yourself what else can be said in it and in 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 writing the article I, I do this quite regularly but I was just looking up a couple of different articles on the subject of, of 
mental health in football and depression in football, depression with footballers and different experiences that people have had. And I was looking at the PFA website in England, which obviously the Players Union, and came across a really interesting piece from last year where they were, the chairman was, he was stating that the bounce between 2016 and 2017 in the number, the spike of players that got in contact with with the association to highlight different degrees of mental health issues. He said uh, it increased tenfold. So in 2016, 106 players were in touch with them. In 2017, 403 players got in touch seeking the help that they required. And it's lovely how he labels it. He just labels it as, as just a great positive in the game because people were willing to speak. People were recognising it was a matter that needed to be addressed. And they found the courage to go and talk to the association because that's what they were there for. And I can't remember the gentleman's name. Probably should have written it down. But he's in, he's in charge of the player well-being with the, uh, the Players' Union in England. But he said the progression, he put it down to, to Gary Speed's death. Um, Gary Speed, who took his own life. Um, Jesus, that's a, an absolutely tragic story. The, the more that kind of came out about that afterwards, it was absolutely devastating. But the association put that Speed's death, that his, his, his suicide was the catalyst to change for every player in this country that... Which is, it's bittersweet really that something so tragic maybe produced the smallest of positives and people may be recognising that, Jesus, I, I don't want to get this bad. And it was enough to dispel you know, that perception of a well-paid job of uh, that, that professional footballers have, that it's this luxurious and extravagant pro- profession that's you know, free from any sort of emotional trauma. And that's not true. That's not true at all. And I'm always very keen to highlight this is that, and it's a bit of a tagline for me, is that every single person, everyone, will be challenged emotionally or intellectually at some stage in their life with something they cannot handle. And if you're unable to work on those coping techniques and coping mechanisms, it's going to spiral and spiral out of control. And you think of... Think of the most simplest, the most simplest of things that maybe get you doubting yourself. A little thing like you text your mate and they don't text back. And it goes on for a day or two or three and they've seen your text. You can see that they've seen it and then suddenly you're thinking, Jesus, Jesus, he doesn't like me. You know, what's, oh, maybe I did something on him. And then that spirals, that spirals, it keeps getting worse and worse, you start thinking of the worst case scenarios to why somebody didn't text you back when you were asking them a question and in reality they could have been busy maybe they're four kids maybe they're working overtime maybe they've been sick maybe they've a lot going on but this is what we do uh, we catastrophize the situation and make it worse in our heads than it actually is and I think everybody will arrive at that point at some, at some stage in their lives whether it's in, in, in career, in a relationship, in sport, whatever. But it will happen and I just implore people to to really just look after themselves and look after to look after those closest to them.
But uh, yeah, I think that's as I said, it's bittersweet. You think about Gary Speed and how he passed, but the positive to have something like that come out of it, it's 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 quite endearing. So the the PFA they have a nice little structure in place. I'm sorry by the way, I can't even speak properly this week. I I mentioned it last week. Everybody within a five mile radius, everybody within my bloodline was sick. And I had almost prepared myself as I'm gonna end up getting bloody sick because everybody in the house here and right enough uh, I ended up with a fecking sinus infection and a chest infection. So there wasn't a direct correlation <coughs> with the fact that everyone in the house had a cold or a flu, but um the change of weather could have a bit to do with it as I'm asthmatic, but um yeah, I ended up with two poxy infections, two loads of antibiotics and a couple of days off work and uh, do you ever get that when you're sick and people how do you feel it's, you don't even know how to answer it I don't even know how I was feeling which would um, which would suggest I was feeling pretty bad but when I went to the doctor um, it was grand just went in my doctor you just go in the queuing system and you're generally not waiting that long it's, it's not too bad but when I went in I was just looking back in the year and I've had a feckin' marvellous year. I haven't been sick in a very long time and at one point in my life, which ties in with the period of my life that I was completely and utterly miserable, but uh, you could have just, I could have had a direct debit, weekly direct debit from my account to my GP because uh, I was there every second day in need of medicine and wondering what was wrong with me. I was always sick. But when the GP looked at his records, I hadn't been in with him since December 2017. So it was over a year since I was sick. And uh, that kind of gave me a lift in my state of misery and self-pity. But uh, I'm all right, I'm on the mend. But if the uh, audio experience of uh, my deep uh, north side twang isn't that pleasant this week, I do apologise. And bear with me. But I have to keep pausing because I can't breathe through my nose. And I have to kind of keep pausing to take a breath. So it maybe sounds like uh, my words are broken as I speak. But that's the reason behind that. But anywho, uh, the PFA, the website. I was just looking at this just for research purposes. Because it's the type of thing I'd love to... Uh, I love the campaign just to get it in places. Every feckin' club in this country. It'd be wonderful. But uh, I'm working on something of that note that's going to take a bit of time um, but it was just a nice place to start just to see what was available to footballers in England because I don't really know too much about it but they've just a nice little section on the website with an introduction to well-being and mental health and the biggest thing in this is every player in England all their members have immediate access to a 24-7 helpline which is fantastic and um, they're tied in with a group of counsellors right throughout the, the country that are available to them. And that's a wonderful start. I think as a player, just knowing that that's available to you, and I would imagine it's anonymous, that's a wonderful source of comfort for anybody. And I think there's something like that available uh, with the Gaelic Players Association over here. They tie in with different counsellors and there's, there's free counselling sessions available to their members. Stop for a drink of water there and it breath of fresh air and 
I'm just stating what I'm seeing here today and it's not in any way an attack of what's available to players over here because I've seen it, I've seen it over the years. There's a good reactionary process available to players here and I've seen it. The PFAI have stepped in uh, to look after players who have um, gone through some sort of difficulty and I think they've done a fantastic job in looking after players. Uh, I know the guys pretty well, Ollie Cattle, Stephen McGuinness, doing a wonderful job um, in in looking after the assets of the game, basically. I mean, they are the heartbeat of, of, of football. They are the players. It's what it is all about. And I think the PFAI are doing a fantastic job in, in raising their worth to those who matter uh, further up the line. So, uh, yeah, I've seen good reactionary processes. And I think what I'd kind of like to look at at football in this country is, is the preventative um, processes that could be put in place uh, at club level or at national level, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that looks like just yet. But that's what's swirling around my head: is what could I do to maybe help that? Could I help it? I don't know. I mean, I'm a fucking nobody. Um, but look, I'd like to think I can maybe, similar to Noel Quinn starting the conversation last week about investment in the league at an academy level and and what could be done to help the situation. I think he spoke about tax breaks and investment in clubs. I mean, look, if I could maybe be the guy to ask the questions about player well-being and, and, and the measures that could be put in place to, to educate and support players at the base level. Uh, great. Um, and there's better minds than, than mine that could be involved in this to come up with the answers. But it's an important conversation to have. Um, so elsewhere on the PFA website, the English website, they just have really simple detail and facts about depression, about anxiety, about what you might feel when you're depressed, about certain triggers um, relative to football that could ch- that could um, just channel that, that could set it off, um, whether it's anxiety, low mood, depression, uh, so simple things. And they list, they, they list these things. It's a change of manager, a change of club, a change of teammates, um, you know, going through the stress of a transfer, the stress of contracts, uh, the stress of performance. And the demand of performance playing two, three games a week or whatever it may be. Just really simple detail. Um, just really nice to see. So a couple of ideas, like even what I was thinking is, you think of the problems that people do face over here on a semi-professional level. It's uh, it's the same struggles that everybody's going to have, whether you're a professional or not. Uh, balance of time, you know, you're balancing a work life, family life, your your football life. You've got the red flags that exist for everybody in society, the likes of, likes of gambling, um, uh, social media, things like that that are going to raise flags for people that, that could take them in and take them down the wrong channel um, with different triggers for different people. You know, things like bereavement. Everybody's going to suffer the loss of a loved one at some stage in their life. Um, it could be issues around sexuality, which is, again, something not really addressed in football. Um, particularly in the male side it, it's not discussed an awful lot at all so yeah it was really nice just reading through that and quite encouraging to see that just simple detail that I hope would be helpful and I'm sure it has been helpful to, to some some of the players in England who have found themselves struggling so uh, yeah there you go the PFA in England our website what they're doing to help players and it's just giving me ideas just moving forward with the conversation I'm trying to start over here but staying with, take another deep breath here. 
staying on the topic and everything today, it's all about football. I was just reading a couple of different articles and just researching the different high-profile players that have come out and spoke about their difficulties when it comes to depression or anxiety. And again, I, I'm always very careful as to what labels I give and it all falls under the same bracket of, of, of emotional fidelity and emotional health. But like some of the names that have come up, like Michael Carrick, Aaron Lennon, Danny Rose, all Premier League players spoken very recently about dealing with depression and just from the pressures of the game and the pressures of success. And a really interesting one I came across was the, uh, the former Barcelona player, Bojan Kursic, Spanish international, who, I mean, there's so many red flags in this. I've, I use that term, red flags, but it's it's perfect in describing this this case this individual case and it's the only way to really look at, at, at somebody's position is looking at it on an individual basis but Bojan if you may remember he made his debut at 17 his first team debut for Barcelona in Liga at 17 um, and was immediately labelled the new Messi having scored 900 goals in Barca's youth team in the youth academy so straight away what pressure on a 17-year-old to be labelled the new Messi? Now, some may argue, look, that's the demand of the game. That's You're at that end. You're playing for Barcelona. That's what's coming with you. And on that, I, I've heard that conversation over the years about what a doddle it must be to play for Barcelona and what a handy job the likes of Pep Guardiola had there a couple of years ago. And I would completely challenge that. And I'll tell you why. Here's one... Uh, <laughs> One snippet of evidence. Have a look at a before and after picture of Pep Guardiola when he took the Barcelona job and when he left the Barcelona job. The man, despite being a ridiculously handsome individual, I'd say he aged about 10 years and I think he only had that job for three or four years. He had a full head of hair. He was like Samson when he took that job and was as bald as a coot when he left it. At that level, like Barcelona, it's an institution. It's... It's it's not only about winning, it it's it's the style and substance that, that comes along with it. And I mean I would imagine it it's almost like I, I think a good comparison. You think people think about how it's advertised about working for Google, that you know, you gotta slide down to your desk, you're sitting on beanbags all day and everything's grey crack. Like I can guarantee you working for Google is no crack at all. Ninety percent of the time. Um I would say you are under serious pressure when it comes to KPI and performance um, right throughout the year. And I would imagine it's quite ruthless. And at Barcelona, it's the same. Like You are, you are measured by 100% every day. And sure, as a player, to be working at that level with the best in the world, just remarkable. What you learn about how to carry yourself, how to handle yourself, and just the technical development, just practicing at that level would just take you to a level <laughs> that you just wouldn't get anywhere else but there's serious pressure there serious pressure at working at that uh, what is very much the peak of club football and for this young lad Bojan he struggled a lot with anxiety and struggled with the pressure of what was being thrown at him at such a young age and his quote about it was like no, nobody wanted to hear about it like football wasn't interested in his anxiety. And a sad twist to this story was with the European Championships coming up, he was called into the Spanish squad 
and a credit to him, he, he, he said no. He said he couldn't do it because he, he just mentally wasn't able. He needed to take a break and take a step back and look after himself. And there's a lovely story where Carlos Puyol, what a man, what a player, by the way. He stepped in, he pulled the guy aside and he said, listen, Bojan, I look after you. I'll be with you every step of the way. Like, come along to the Euros. Like, that's leadership for you. And this is like what I'm saying about any player maybe listen to that and just feeling a little bit down. Talk to your captain, talk to your teammates, talk to somebody you trust because you'll get the support. You'll get nothing but love. Um, you'll get nothing but the support you need. And you wouldn't expect anything less from a man like Poyal. Um It didn't surprise me when I was reading that. But Bojan, again, look, he did what he had to do to look after himself. He found a level of good selfishness to look after himself. But... Of course, the media twisted this and the Spanish media ran with the card that Spain made the call for Bojan to play in the Euros, but he turned it down and said no. And he got scalded for this. He was roasted for this for years afterwards and he had to carry that burden with him. And he said that was one of the most difficult things, that having made the decision that was right for him and dealing with his anxiety, dealing with the issues that he had, he then had the baggage of the country thinking, you know, perceiving him as a traitor for not answering the country's call when he should have. And I think that's maybe the problem with, with something like football. And we, we kind of just see these figures on a telly playing a 90-minute match and with blatant disregard of the fact that there's a personality and a life behind that. There's someone with a mother, with a child, with a wife husband whatever it may be all the intricacies that ordinary people will face in life are the exact same of what footballers and sports people all around the world face as well but in this instance this guy is just labelled a traitor whereas had the truth come out you know 99% of the world are decent people I think it would have been understood and this is the difficulty with clickbait media is that someone had an opportunity to tell the truth there um, eventually tell the truth maybe if it wasn't known initially but they didn't they just cho- chose a sensationalist angle to, to make it look like a footballer had turned his back on his country and I think that's uh, that's that's devastating it's absolutely devastating but what I love about this interview is he's he doesn't turn bitter about his trade he, he doesn't he's really open about the fact that he loves football football is his life and it was killing him that he wasn't able to enjoy this um, and he puts it in quite a sweet way. He says, like, it's not about the trophies. He said, look, the most important thing are the experiences. He said, what you live and what's in your heart, like, that can never be stolen from you. And that to him is what the game is about. And it was killing him that he couldn't embrace all of that at his worst point. And it's no surprise he went on to play for seven clubs in eight years. Like, he, he was unsettled. And... My guess is, if this kid spoke to a counsellor, as I'm sure he did, I uh, I, th- I think it's quite obvious that just that pressure of being labelled the new Messi, I mean, wow, that that's, that's a big deal right there. And I'd be interested to know, just obviously with sports psychology being quite a big part of the game, and at a club like Barcelona... I'd be really interested, was he seeing somebody one-on-one at that point, at the age of 16, 17 or beforehand, who was helping him deal with a scenario like being labelled the new Messi? Um, 
I'd just be really interested, was he taught anything of that, given any tools to help him deal with that? And if he was, did they just not work? Um, I'd just love to pick his brain, but again, a really, really big name, and it's just another example that it happens to the best. Nobody is immune to what I'd consider to be the biggest scourge in society today. And just staying with the theme, just the sports people, it's one I raised again last week, I, I wrote a post about it, was the, the Celtic player Lee Griffiths, who, like admittedly, I, I don't know much about, but uh, he took he took a break, and before Christmas he had to step away from the game, and it was addressed. It just he was addressing personal matters, and as it turns out, he was took the break to look after his mental health, which again I commend him for. But again, just fucking media in England like jumping all over us, just red top red tops, trash journalism thrown around stories that it was a gambling addiction and um, you know his life was destroyed because of gambling and drugs and again it was sensationalised jumped up really poor reportage about an individual's life and the problems that he was going through and my argument well, the fact it was it, apparently it's lies it did nothing to do with gambling or drugs but my argument on this was even if it was gambling and drugs even if it was a path that led him down to that you know, if he was led down that path of self-destruction in terms of drugs and gambling, if he had taken it, spoke to Brendan Rogers and his advisors and liaison officers at the club and took a break to look after himself and see if he could fix the problem, he should be commended, regardless of it being gambling, drugs or anything else. The guy should be commended. And these are stories that should be shouted from the rooftop when you consider... When these guys do something wrong, like a bad tackle or spitting at fans, just one that really came random into my head there, they're condemned, you know, take into account you're a role model. Well, here's an opportunity for the for the media to, to twist that around and use it to their advantage of creating a role model. Show people that, look, this guy's a professional, but he's struggling and he has difficulties the same way me and you would have it. And he's after taking a break from... A demanding trade, and that's what football is at professional level. It is a demanding trade. And at a time when his club and his team needed him, he took a step away to do what was right for him, to look after himself, regardless of what it was. I mean, I was reading about it. This guy, I, I'm not sure if he's married or not, but he's three or four kids. The kids reading detail about that, the, the media up and down the country are telling lies about her, their dad. Like, it's it's quite sickening. Um. I just would have felt that we'd have moved on from a level a level of gutter journalism, stuff like that, but clearly we haven't. But again, just another example of a high-profile player that's just doing what he has to do to look after himself. And uh, once again, look, I'll raise my glass of water and just respect to everybody I've mentioned there tonight and looking after themselves. And for about the fifth or sixth time, if you're listening to this and you're a sports person or anybody, you don't have to be a sports person, it's just the team of the podcast this evening. But just do what you got to do to look after yourself. Um, that's kind of the only advice I feel qualified to give. Just do what you have to do to look after yourself, mind yourself. And following on from that one, I came across, this. this is a beautiful way to bring to to bring this podcast, we're nearly 35 minutes in. I I took a good few notes on this, and uh, 
came across another article of another footballer who admittedly again I'd never I'd never come across the guy but um it's a player by the name of Marvin Sordell. Great name. And there was an article on the Guardian website about him. And he currently plays for Burton Albion, who I think I think are League One. I think they were championship last year, got relegated. Um but he's ex Premiership, he's played at a couple of teams, but again, just wrote this really poignant piece, really poignant interview. Uh, we just spoke about the ruthlessness of football, which I've mentioned again tonight, um, earlier on in the episode. But he just spoke about depression and just how low things got for him. And at his lowest point, he tried to kill himself. He took a load of tablets, tried to overdose. But the way in which he learned to deal with his uh, with his problems is he he writes he writes a lot. And straight away, I, I was gripped by this because that's, that's for me, that's what I do. I write a lot. I fill notepad after notepad. For me, it's just the easiest way to articulate my feelings and my thoughts. Um, when I speak, I sometimes find it very difficult. I can trip up my words, as I do in this podcast. But for me, writing, it's just very private. Um, it's very soothing and it's, it's quite liberating. So I was really interested to, to read further about what he had to say about it. And it's the exact same. Um he just spoke about writing different, taking himself on a journey through his poetry and through his different writings. Uh, and he actually went on to write a book, cool name, Vulnerable Exposure, he calls it, uh, which he says he hasn't submitted yet to a publisher. But he wrote, he wrote a poem called Dennis Prose, which is an anagram for depression, which is why I've named this podcast an anagram for depression. Straight away, I was like, well, that's really fucking clever. And I was like, where's this going? And he said he wrote this poem because he wanted to make depression real so people could understand could understand um, how somebody who's struggling is fighting for control over themselves and how depression consumes you. Um, and sometimes you submit to it. So he speaks about just the emotions, the emotions of snowball and for him, this became just one big thing inside him and he had been overtaken by another entity. And that's when he wrote this poem called Dennis Pro, Dennis Prose. So D-E-N-I-S-P-R-O-S-E. Dennis Prose, anagram for depression. So the poem, it follows, it, it follows his journey from the training ground to his home. And it personifies the emotion where, that he's feeling in this journey and the car represents his body uh, and in the car is himself and this passenger so this entity he speaks about that's Dennis Prose so it represents the two sides of his consciousness um, it starts off as a sunny day it becomes dark and rainy and there's a shift in emotion and a struggle of power and this guy Dennis Prose takes charge and the poem is it's, it's quite tragic it ends in suicide because that's how fucking depressing suicide or depre- how that's how Jesus see trip up me words stick to writing and um, the poem ends in suicide because uh, he just wants to emphasise it look that's how fucking powerful depression is and depression will tell you that this is the way out I'll take control and look after everything and it'll be all over and uh, it's a powerful piece of uh, piece of creativity and a piece of writing and I am delighted that uh, I actually found it uh, I found it on YouTube. He actually, him and a mate, they made a, a really cool video to 
to go along with the poem and uh, it seems we've gotten a really good reaction this is going back um a good while but uh, i'm gonna play it i'm sure he won't mind it's spreading the message i'm sure he wants to mind spoke about this last week uh, i cut out all music from the podcast because i was worried i was gonna get sued but uh i'm pretty sure marvin will be delighted to know i'll be sharing this poem with uh people who are listening to a mental health podcast so i'm just going to see if i can get this up the sound will probably be absolute cat but i play it anyway and if you want to go and have a proper look at it it's uh you'll get it on youtube it's dennis prose by marvin sordell so hang on there a second we'll see if we can get this working along the road i start to drive with dennis prose right by my side he's only small but i notice him as I gaze and watch the sun come in. The birds are singing, the flowers bloom. It's all so beautiful, until you give him room. The sky clouds over, he starts to grow. But the car is still in my control. Swerving anxiously from lane to lane, while the glorious sunshine turns to grey. This drive's becoming ever so tough, and Dennis Bros has had enough. Big enough now to master the wheel. He says, I'm in control now, just trust me, he'll. A passenger on my very own journey. Reduce the watch and range up so large it's unearthly. I have no power, but no longer afraid. Since Dennis Prose took over, I've just obeyed. He tells me, close your eyes until I say, on this journey you cannot stay. I'll take you to where there is peace, and above all, a place to sleep. Now you can open, but he's gone as my eyes have just awoken. I look into the distance, see pearly white doves, and the youngest to oldest of all of my loves. This place is so peaceful, but the silence is deafening. Don't weep for me though. I'm free. I'm in heaven. Dennis Prose by Marvin Sordell. That's S O R D E L L. I hope the sound was all right and that that could have come across as absolute cat, but it's a powerful video. Um, beautiful poem and quite quite powerful, really. Um, yeah, and I think it's quite a soothing way to finish off this week's podcast, which has been all about football and sports, and just once again just really hammering home that message to anybody involved in sports who's feeling down about themselves to just to open out to look after yourselves do what you got to do uh i was a coach i was supposed to be a leader and somebody is with a, a role of nurturing talent and and coaching people i was supposed to be a role of responsibility and i didn't have it in me to do it because i was suffering i was ill uh, i had depression i was suffering from low mood and it stopped me from doing what i loved and if you're a player, don't let that happen. Don't let it go that far. Do what you have to do to look after yourself. Uh, I really want to hammer that message home. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Um, this has been good. Um, really enjoyed this. Really nice just, obviously, to talk about football for 45 minutes. is pretty cool. And just an important an important, important subject on the subject of football when it comes to player well-being and people looking after themselves so thanks very much for listening um 
again just you can follow us on instagram as performance underscore doc doc with be more content relative to the challenge that's coming up and relative to to mental health and emotional fitness and you'll get me on twitter as well i'm using that a bit more in the last week or two it's just uh just david o'connor on twitter should be able to find us so thanks very much for listening if you have any comments any questions any feedback send it in to us always nice to hear from people so yeah mind yourselves <laughs>